This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Now, a very good afternoon to everyone. It is a joy and privilege to be with each of us here. It's a privilege we get to enjoy that we never take for granted. Now, this morning we come to Psalm 16. And I'm going to put the psalm on the screen later on, but the words are small. So if you think that your eyesight is not, is not as good as um, the younger ones, uh, do grab your physical Bibles with you. Let me begin by leading us in praying to God. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Psalter. We thank you for Psalms that we can read and know you better that we can know the heartbeat of your king and we can hear the response of the king's people. So this morning and afternoon, we pray, God, that you engage our hearts and our minds and our will so that we can understand and we can respond rightly. We pray all this for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. How to tell bedtime stories in the age of coronavirus. Well, one author gave this solution. To engage our children with stories that feature them as the heroes of their time. Now, dear friends, we are not short of bad news these days. What we need are answers to this bad news. We're constantly bombarded with news that reminds us of the uncertainty of life. Headlines like this, telling us Singapore's recession is officially here. Or another one, if Americans return to the office this summer, they could accelerate COVID spread. But if they stay at home, they could plunge the whole cities into darkness. There will be financial crisis. Then we have news of people dying. We have tensions among countries. And even now, shootings in the park become minor news. Dear friends, You and I, we live in uncertain and unprecedented times. Just like every other generation before us. The first world war, the first atomic bomb, the first great depression, the list goes on. There are many, many firsts for each generation. So how can we live a secure life within an insecure and uncertain world? Well, what has the Bible to tell us about living secure as Christians? When your work is in a difficult situation, when family is struggling. Well, this morning we come to a psalm that shows us how. It shows us one king who stands secure in the midst of fears and uncertainties. And one people who follows their king and experience the same security. We come to Psalm 16, a song of King David. But before we dig into Psalm 16, I'd like to bring us just a few millenniums back in time because I want to paint us the context and the structure of this psalm. For it is part of a mountaintop experience that involves God, God's King, and God's people. Because to understand the truth about living a secure life, within an insecure world, we need to understand the relationship between these three parties. Psalm 16 is part of a mountaintop experience within 10 Psalms 
from Psalms 15 to 24. Now here's a picture for us. We can climb the mountain from either side of these 10 Psalms. We begin with an entrance Psalm, Psalm 15 and 24. These are songs about the entrance into God's sacred tent, God's holy mountain, God's holy place. And then we climb up on to the songs of trust in Psalm 16 and Psalm 23 to find great security in trusting God in the midst of danger, even if the king was walking through the valley of the shadow of death. The king will face grave sorrows and he will intercede before God in Psalm 17 and 22. There we will hear the king's crying out from his deepest sorrows. We shall experience that next week in Psalm 22. And then we arrive at the royal songs of Psalm 18, 20 and 21. Psalms 18, 20 and 21 where David sings of how God comes to bring victory to his anointed king against his enemies or Saul. And then we finally arrive at the top of the mountain at Psalm 19 on God's Torah. It is very interesting here, but not a surprise to find that God's word is the foundation of the world, that the king is not above the law, but is established by the Torah of God. So at the top of the mountain is a song about God's creation and greater still, God's Torah, His teaching, His words that holds all things together. Now, as trekkers climbing up this mountain to discover truths, to find security and hope, you and I, as we climb up, we'll pitch our tent at Psalm 16 today. In fact, Psalm 16 is a mirror Psalm to Psalm 23 on the other side, which we looked at a few weeks ago. If you were to wave the message of Psalm 16, Across the mountain, Psalm 23 will wave back at Psalm 16. For example, if we sing about God's goodness in Psalm 16 verse 2 today, Psalm 23 verse 6 will wave back. If we sing about God's cup of blessings in Psalm 16 verse 5 today, Psalm 23 verse 5 will wave back. We speak about the king's path of life in verse 11 today, Psalm 23 verse 3 and 6 they will speak about the king's path of life as well. Or the king's security and trust and hope for eternity. In the last verse for today, Psalm 23 verse 6 will echo that to us. Now, don't worry about the details here. But the reason why I bring us up on this um, context and this uh, picture of this mountain is to help us recognize that God's word has much to tell us about how to find security that can last into eternity. And the way for us to find security is by listening to God's King as He speaks God's Word. So with that, I hope you are excited about digging into Psalm 16 together. So here we go, Psalm 16. You can look at your Bible for uh, bigger words if the screen is too tiny for you. We begin Psalm 16 and we read the superscription that says the Miktam of David, a song of David or by David. Now the king begins his song with verse 1, presenting his request 
directly to God and then uttering a basis of his request. Look at it. Keep me safe, my God. That is his request. For in you I take refuge. That is his basis. Keep me safe, my God. We might ask, from what, David? Well, David didn't mention. Perhaps it is from enemies or Saul further out the mountain in Psalm 18. Perhaps from the surrounding threats of idol worshippers that have plagued the kings after him. We see that in verse 4. Look at it. Those who run after other gods. Or it could be every kind of danger that threatens to bring him into the realm of the dead. Verse 10. Now, if the king is destroyed, the whole kingdom will be gone. Now, David, he lives in a world just like ours, full of violence, uncertainties, dangers, threats, the unknowns. So even without the specifics, David's request to God is very clear. Keep me safe. Watch over me. Preserve my life. But why should God answer the king's request. Well, David's basis is this, for in you I take refuge. In fact, in personalizing his relationship with God, saying, my God, David is leaning on his relationship with God for protection. In the covenantal relationship back in Psalm 2, my God. Now, what is, or what are the tangible refuge that David can lean on? Well, there are two Two things here. We see both of these in the structure of Psalm 15 to 24 as well as within Psalm 16 itself. So first of all, take a look back at the mountain we look we, we, we journey on. David, he leans on God's covenantal promise to him as a king. We see that actually on the mountain in Psalm 18, 20 and 21. And secondly, David leans on his delight in God's word which is at the top in Psalm 19. We can actually see these two points of refuge within the structure of Psalm 16 itself. This is what we'll notice in Psalm 16. In verses 2 to 6, the king trusts in God's covenant, his relationship with God. And later in verse 7 to 11, the king delights in God's Torah. So let's begin by looking at verse 2 together. Look with me to verse 2. David declares this to his listener saying, I say to Yahweh, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. King David, he acknowledges Yahweh as his heavenly king, his master. And this king comes to the Lord God as a servant. King David, he's single-minded about God being his master and his king, and their relationship means everything to King David. Well, pardon my illustration for a moment as I try to describe this close relationship. It has often been said that dogs are man's best friends. And there was a famous story of an Akita dog in Japan a hundred years ago. And this dog's name is called Hachiko. Let me show you his picture. Now, Hachiko... He would see his master off to work in the morning at the Shibuya train station in central Tokyo. And he would come to pick his master up at the station in the afternoon when he returns from work. They were really close and inseparable. But one day, 
May 21st, 1925. Hachiko, as usual, went to his exit at the Shibuya train station to wait for his master. He waited and waited for hours. The master didn't turn up. And it turns out that his master, Izaburo, died of a sudden hemorrhage at work. He would not be coming back. The dog eventually moved in with his owner's friend. But for Hachiko, he never had another master. For the rest of his remaining years, he would go to the Shibuya, uh, Shibuya train station every morning, every afternoon, at the precise time. He would sit there and wait for hours patiently for an owner who would never come back. And he did that until the very day he passed away. Now today we have statues in Japan, Tokyo, you have statues, you have movies, Hollywood movies, you have museum built in honor of that loyalty Hachiko had for the master. The distance would never be diluted by, uh, the relationship could never be diluted by the distance between them. Now that's a story for the dog lovers. But as we come to Psalm 16, this is why we see David's relationship to his master is so close. David could not find satisfaction outside of his God. He says this in verse 2. He finds no good things outside of his covenantal relationship with his God King. He finds that everything that is good is good because he has a good God. Like a faithful servant, David will look to his master for approval and for safety. But unlike Hachiko's master who was a man who has limits, David's master is the God King who has no limits and David knows that. And so David, he would not renounce his loyalty to Yahweh King by looking to other gods for crumbs. Indeed, David says of those within his kingdom, those who are faithful to God, these words in verse 3, he says, I say to the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. So the king delights in God and he delights in the people who delights in God. We read of these faithful ones in the story of Second Samuel 15. In fact, it is your Psalm 3. When Israel was tempted to reject God's king and God to run after the beautiful Absalom to be their king. But amongst the Israelites, there were some faithful men who would refuse. They would risk everything and follow God's king out of Jerusalem into Mount Olives, even Garden of Gethsemane. They would rather face danger than renounce God and God's king. David said in verse 4, those who run after God, those who turn from their creator for the created things, they will eventually suffer more and more. Their sufferings will multiply, their tears will not be quenched, their fears will not be reduced. But not so for David and those holy people. We see how David makes clear what he believes in verses 1 to 3. And he makes clear what he rejects in verse 4. Now if we just pause here for a moment, you and I, 
and ask ourselves these same questions when we face uncertainties and difficulties. How will we respond in this uncertain world? What do we confess that we believe? What do we refuse to follow? Will we look to the God King as our Lord? Will we reject the temptation to run after this world or worship ourselves, our flesh of material possessions, our worldly approvals, all the so-called other gods around our world? Will we follow the king to say, apart from you, I have no good thing? Do this for yourself for a moment. If you are someone who journals down, write this down. What is your life's confession and rejection? What is your life's confession and rejection? What do you confess that you believe and what do you refuse to follow? Now as we move on to verse 5 and verse 6. David then goes on to proclaim goodness of Yahweh, saying God alone his portion, his cup, his Lord. And then using Old Testament language of God dividing promised land for the Israelites, God says that the boundary line of his inheritance lands on pleasant places. In fact, David's inheritance is not just a piece of good land. David's inheritance is God himself. Look at verse 5. Now imagine with me just for a moment, the two children, they're both waiting for their dad to come home from work. Dad promised there'll be plenty of good stuff when he comes back. One child looks forward to the presence, the gifts of the father. The other looks forward to the presence, the dwelling of the father with them. Now David, he is that second child. God will no doubt bring good things for him, but his greatest joy, portion, and cup, and security is in the Lord God himself. Perhaps we should pause and ask ourselves another question. As Christians, do we wait impatiently for God to give us material blessings, good stuff, comfort? Or do we long for God's presence? Do we delight more in the gifts or the giver? But what is yours and my daily delight as we wake up each day and face the challenges of the world? What do we look to as our portion, our security, our pleasant places, our delightful inheritance? Because here's the thing, if our portion is that money, security, that good job, that health, the material comfort, then we are always just one day away from insecurities, one day away from fear perhaps one day away from death. But if our portion is our relationship with the Lord, then we can be like David to say that our true inheritance will not be temporal, but dwells with the eternal. So verses 2 to 6, it shows us the king's trust in God's covenantal relationship with him. And as we move on to verse 7 to 11, we start to see the king's trust this time around in God's counsel. Again, as he speaks to his listeners, his holy people, David says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. 
So not only is the Lord David's master and king, the Lord is also David's counsel and teacher. Look at the use of the words in verse 7 and 8. My heart, my eyes, my right hand. Or verse 9, my heart, my tongue, my body. The Lord's counsel for the king is nothing like just an intellectual discussion. The king didn't just go for a Bible study on weeknight or on a Saturday or Sunday just to hear something that you know, just triggers the intellectual part of the brain. No, the Lord's counsel, his word, really engages the, the king's whole being and sanctifies his emotion. Now the question is, how does the Lord counsel the king? Is it just some voices at night? Well, look at a few verses and you will really help us. Look at the Old Testament in Deuteronomy 17, verse 18 to 20. This is what we read. When he, the king, fixed the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law, taken from that of the Levitical priest. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may lean to revere, learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and this decrees. Now, the king's first job on the throne is not to count the armies, but to copy God's law. The first priority he has is not to build a wall to make the nations great again, but to read and remember and to learn and understand God's counsel. Now, many people in this world try to turn to God's word or Look for God's sign when they are at a crossroad. But that's not how the king works, or God's king. God's king will drinking God's word from day, day after day, such that even when there are crises of crossroads, they already have the counsel of the Lord. Again, in the Psalter, the very first two verses of the whole psalm, a hundred, 150 psalms goes like this. It's back to the king. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. So for the king, he understands that delighting in God's word is actually the path of life. And no uncertainties in this world can overcome him. Dear friends, I, I ask this not of you, but of ask all of us. Do we seek and listen to Yahweh's word and counsel? Do we turn to his Bible and read it regularly and not just in times of crisis on crossroads? Or do we simply babble worldly desires to him asking for signs and miracles? hoping that he will come in all kinds of ways but from his words. I think the king reminds his people we need to ponder on his word regularly, engaging our minds, our emotions, and waiting expectantly to be instructed. My suspicion is that you and I, we, we may try to do this, but we don't always succeed. Neither did King David. And on those days when he forgets God's law, his life end up in serious mess. Now the proof, the proof that God answers the king's plea 
of this whole psalm actually points right at verse 10. I want to invite us to take a look at verse 10 right now. To the anointed king who perfectly trusts in God's promise and perfectly delights in God's law, verse 10 says, God will not abandon him to the realm of the dead, nor let him, his faithful one, see decay. So here is the two-way proof for Psalm 16, that the king trusts and delights in God perfectly, and the Lord God will keep him alive, verse 11, eternally. David loves the Lord, but he was not a perfect king. But there is one man, one perfect king, who trusted the Lord perfectly and delighted his word perfectly. That king was that promised son of David, and we now know it is the Lord Jesus himself. So let us now turn to the New Testament to see how this Psalm 16 actually gets fulfilled. Let's turn to Acts 13 verse 35. To 39. Now the font is much bigger on the screen. Let me read this for us. So it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your Holy One see decay. Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom the God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through Him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. Now, dear friends, where have we arrived in Psalm 16? We arrived at the prophecy of King David as he looked ahead to the son that God had promised him in 2 Samuel 7 and Psalm 2. A king who will sit on the throne firm in the face of uncertainties trusting and loving God's promise and God's law. And because he does this so perfectly, God is perfectly pleased with him. And King Jesus, he will not see decay. And he did not see decay. Instead, he ultimately rules this world perfectly using God's word. And to those who do not worship other gods, who delights in God and God's king, Acts 13 tells us that the king will give them forgiveness of all their sins. Dear brothers, sisters, friends, are we these people, those who refuse to worship other gods, but to delight in the Lord God and His anointed king? Will we be these people who will lean on God's promises in Jesus and that we will cry out for God's Holy Spirit to help us delight in His Word each day. Let's look at another passage in the New Testament before we come back to Psalm 16 and close today's talk. Let's look at Psalms, uh, look at Acts 2. Again, let me read Acts 2 for us. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. His tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what's to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. 
exalted to the right hand of God, He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Quoting Psalm 16, in the very first sermon, right after the ascension of Jesus, the Apostle Paul, uh, the Apostles themselves tells us of God's greatest son, Jesus. He truly delights and trusts in God. And so perfectly did he do that, that the Lord God keeps him alive eternally. And now King Jesus is able to pour the promise of forgiveness and rescues to all who comes to him. Now, dear friends, as we close, how do we pray and sing Psalm 16? How do we find security in the midst of uncertainty? This is what we can't do. We can't sing Psalm 16 by ourselves without a king. But if we believe in King Jesus, then we read Psalm 16 under his banner as the forgiven people whom the king delights. Psalm 16 verse 3. And in our King Jesus, we too have an inheritance. This is what the New Testament tells us in 1 Peter 1, 3-9, that we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And this inheritance is already kept in heaven for us. In our King Jesus, we can sing verse 11 under His banner within His kingdom. That we too can say that you have made known to us the path of life, that you will give us the joy of your presence with eternal pleasures in you. So like the holy people in verse 3, whom the king is pleased with, we can pray now to God's Holy Spirit to make us more like our king. That we can pray that God's Holy Spirit will help us not to run to other gods, not to, not to turn to other things outside of God, but that we take refuge in God's promise and God's word, that His Spirit help us to tell God daily that He is our portion, our inheritance when times are tough, that there is no good that comes out of anything else but from Him, that we'll seek His counsel by reading His word and asking His Spirit to help us to delight in His word, that we'll give thanks to the Lord God for the risen King, and for the promise of a risen, a resurrection life for us. So may we keep our eyes on the path of life to have joy in God's presence and to look to the eternal pleasures of being in God's presence. So dear friends, how can we live a secure life within an insecure and uncertain world? And grandparents, those of you who are, or parents or uncles or aunties, how do you tell bedtime stories in the age of coronavirus or any other pandemic in the future? Well, the solution is not to tell the children or us that we are the heroes of our world. But rather, we are to tell of the reality that we have an eternal hero an eternal king who has risen from the dead. He has overcome all uncertainties and he will lead his holy people in the path of life to fill us with joy in God's presence. And one day, one day, we will enter and enjoy the eternal pleasures that is already reserved for us 
in heaven. May the Lord bless us through His Word. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.org.